Today on Reparations in Action. You know, they built the dome and in order to build the dome, they had to raise an entire community and they had to build over the graveyard of, of African people. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Uhuru. You're listening to the Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show, The White Lies Shattered Series. My name is Jamie Simpson, and I am the host of Reparations in Action, which broadcasts weekly on Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. We believe reparations to African people is the key question of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. As always, we'd like to salute Black Power 96 Studios, where this show is aired and recorded for our podcast weekly. This week's episode is an update on the struggle for reparations in St. Petersburg and the call for rent control coming from the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement. I had the honor of speaking to National Director of Organization for the African People's Socialist Party, Chimarenga Selambao, about the Reparations Now Take Back the Dome campaign, which he helps to lead, and the call for the return of the 86 acres of land at the Tropicana Field Baseball Stadium uh, to be returned to the African community as an act of reparations. In the 1980s, the historic black community known as the Gas Plant District was demolished to make way for the sports stadium. I asked Director Chimarenga to talk to us about the Gas Plant neighborhood and describe that once thriving community that was destroyed to make way for Major League Baseball. Uh, Thanks uh, for the invitation. Uh, I hope you can hear me okay. Uh, I would say this. I was, uh, you know, I frequented the neighborhood when I was kind of small. We used to have to walk that way to pay our bills. But this was uh, an all-African neighborhood. As a matter of fact, uh, through my travels in my younger days, I, I don't ever remember seeing a white person over there. And until I started working in that area, uh, when I got to be a grown man, but all through my childhood, I, I never remember seeing any white people over there. But it was uh, Davis Elementary was there, and they had businesses in that area. Uh, like I said, Davis Elementary School. Uh, they had uh, funeral home, black funeral homes, and and more than eight hundred. Uh, people who belong to families of Africans in that area, at least uh, nine churches, African churches were displaced. Um, and this came at the uh, whim of the city who um, kind of scammed the people out of their property under the pretense of uh, bringing light industry. So that whole area uh, was bought up by the city for peanuts and the people were really forced out. They intended to get that property, but they used the carrot of light industry and jobs. Uh, those lighted that light industry and jobs after everything was destroyed, the city said, Oh, oops, we can't, we can't find anybody to bring light industry. Uh, so we're going to build a baseball stadium. 
of course, by that time, it was too late for black people to do anything about it. The houses have been torn down, churches been torn down, all the property has been destroyed. Uh, a whole community has been destroyed. And now all we can do is just say they lied. So and this is part of uh, colonial life for African people in the city of St. Petersburg. It's a small African population, even currently. It's about 58,000 Africans, 258,000 total population. So a city with a small African population like that, having uh, the, a big part of it torn away, including uh, economic part of it in terms of businesses, and of course the customers for those businesses uh, uprooted as well. Uh, this is what colonialism does in the form of gentrification. It's been an ongoing process since the late 80s, mid 80s, and, uh, of course, they opened the stadium in 1995. I asked Director Chimarenga what the Take Back the Dome campaign envisions for the 86 acres of land at the Tropicana Field site and how that plan relates to the housing crisis in St. Petersburg and the call for rent control. That particular area, um, the way we see it, uh, we could provide hundreds, possibly thousands of units of, of affordable housing. Uh, there's 86 acres of land uh, in this so-called Tropicana property, including the parking lot and the Tropicana Dome itself. And uh, we had even envisioned at one point even not tearing down Tropicana Field and using that as a retail space uh, to uh, and then build the housing around it. Uh, so we, we came up with a plan called the Reparations Land Trust and Development Authority uh, during the 27 cam 2017 campaign of Akile Adnai, who ran for District uh, 6 City Council, seven, District 7 City Council. And uh, what we said was that uh, the African community must control that 86 acres. Uh, not only those 86 acres, but uh, tracts of land in the empowerment zone. Um, uh, I think it went to 28th Avenue South in St. Pete, uh, all the way to Central and uh, 4th Street, 49th Street. That zone, wherever there was large tracts, tracts of city-owned land, the Development Authority would take control of that land and have control over its sale, development, buying land, selling land the development authority would do that. Uh, so that's our vision that this would be a, a, a semi-governmental agency, um, but it would be elected, people elected from specific districts, uh, for, uh, not districts, but specific precincts uh, where there's large African populations to to actually uh, put the implement implement the African uh, community control over this land and other large tracts of land uh, in the African community itself is not just Tropicana, but Tropicana is a major piece of uh, the plan that we're talking about, and we think it represents uh, the key uh, to the demand for reparations uh, in the form of the return of that Tropicana property which is now valued at more than a billion dollars.
Director Chimarenga recently wrote an article that appeared in the Weekly Challenger, a local African community newspaper. The article asked the question, will a black mayor deliver reparations to the black community? I asked Director Chimarenga whether he thinks St. Pete's first African mayor, Ken Welch, and the USF or University of South Florida study on racial disparities in St. Petersburg both represent genuine progress for the city, or if he thinks these moves are a cover for continued gentrification. I I think uh, the latter is true, generally speaking. However, I would say that something is happening and did happen in the, in not just in St. people, but in this country with the murder of George Floyd, uh, sort of in live and living color, uh, replayed thousands of times on the media, um, an uh, actual execution uh, by the uh, Minneapolis police of George Floyd. Thousands, millions of people, more than 15 million people got involved in demonstrations that had never been involved in demonstrations before. And St. Petersburg was not excluded from that number. So I think um, a political corner was turned, but not a revolutionary corner, where you had uh, sort of the liberal sector of the the white population dominated uh, that election and uh, the first black mayor was elected. However, uh, here is a guy who has been a politician for a very long time. He served on the county commission for 20 years, a rather nondescript um, tenure on on the county commission for 20 years. Can't think of one thing that he actually did and carried out uh, in terms of, uh, uh, of course, we're, we're keeping our ears and eyes open to see how he moves. We made some attempts to contact him. Uh, so we, we are making some attempts to uh, feel him out and see where he is on the question of reparations uh, and some other questions as well. In terms of the USF study, uh, we think the recommendations that they made around reparations in the form of affordable housing are, uh, are a way to actually hide the real contradictions of, uh, you know, if, if we were already making the demand for reparations in the form of these 86 acres, why go and start talking about something else that's not reparations? Because here, if you just say that affordable housing is going to be reparations, I would presume that means that white people won't be given the affordable housing. Only It will only be available to black people. Uh, if that's not the case, then it's not reparations because reparations is to repair damage. So there's no damage to repair for the white uh, colonial population. So uh, is that a real attempt to give reparations through affordable housing? No, it's a way to give the illusion of reparations without actually giving reparations. So you can you can call it reparations, you can call it whatever you want to, but that doesn't make it so. Um, I can, you know, I can call a car a bicycle, but that doesn't make it so. So, uh, 
that's kind of what happened here. They said, well, one of the recommendations for reparations to the black community would be affordable housing. Well, how, how would you operationalize such a thing? Just say all the people that need affordable housing getting land, the black people getting land first. Well, if the black people get in land first and the white people get in land second, it's still being given to more than black people. So it's not reparations. They they brought up something that they know they couldn't implement. So um, because they're trying to avoid the question of real reparations in the form of those 86 acres. We say that proposal they're putting forth is nonsense. The proposal that the former Mayor Chrysler put forward in terms of giving away, essentially giving away the land to a white developer for developing the 86 acres, that's nonsense. Uh, we are demanding reparations for the black community, and the only way that can happen is through those 86 acres uh, that make up the Tropicana Dome property. In Oakland, California, in the 1980s, the African People's Socialist Party carried out an electoral struggle for community control of housing called Measure O. I asked Director Chimarenga to tell us about this campaign and how it relates to the struggle for rent control in St. Petersburg. Measure O was a, 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 a land control uh, measure put on the ballot in Oakland, California back in the early 80s. And uh, it was put forward by the African People's Social Party and the Hood Movement. And this would uh, this would do exactly what the rent control proposal that we're talking about. It, it uh, capped the uh, rent in certain parts of uh, Oakland uh, to 25 percent of a family's income. And there would be rent control boards, uh, housing control boards that would control and implement the process uh, of rent control. So obviously that's an anti-colonial demand, an anti-colonial solution. So of course the bourgeoisie, the media, you know, all other parts of the media and bourgeoisie uh, scream bloody murder. As a matter of fact, uh, the Oakland uh, newspaper, the main Oakland daily newspaper, said this isn't rent control, this is rent revolution. So, so, uh, that's how terrified they were of this whole thing. Thousands, millions of dollars were spent to, to attack Measure O. Uh, and uh, by the way, uh, Measure O was, was the first attempt. There was also a Measure H, uh, a similar attempt, uh, both times getting about 20% of the vote. So um, this was by the way back in the 80s. So the question of rent control is not something new to us uh, in this city or in this country for that matter. Uh, because I, I, even when I ran for office back in 2005, I was already in the course of a rent control. So it's not new to us. Uh, we are the ones that have developed an actual program to implement rent control. And while other people are saying, well, it needs to be a housing emergency. Well, it needs to be a housing emergency, but you also have to say when it's an emergency, this is what must happen. So the rent control must be a part of that housing emergency. I also had the honor of speaking to the director of the agitprop department for the African People's Socialist Party and former city council candidate Akile Anayi, also known as Aretha Akile Canyon. 
She ran for city council in St. Petersburg in 2017 and again in 2019 on an Uhuru movement-endorsed reparations and anti-gentrification platform whose slogan was, Make the South Side Black Again. I asked Director Akile to comment on the legacy of the outgoing administration of former Mayor Rick Kreisman, especially as it relates to his plans to re-gentrify the Tropicana Field site. It would be more appropriate to characterize it as a colonial administration because uh, what Kreisman did was inherit, you know, um, uh, an administration that had already existed. And the administration is basically, you know, carrying out uh, the policy of, you know, the colonial oppression and exploitation of the black community here in the city of St. Petersburg. So um, he inherited that um, administration and, and carried it out with full force. And I think the thing that was really important about Kreisman um, was that he was supposed to represent this uh, progressive face of St. Pete. It was the inclusivity uh, era, um, the, 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 the place where the sun shines on all and we can all work, live and play was this um, like monotonous slogan um, that came from uh, the era in which he was in a uh, city hall. And I think that is you know, one of the most insidious things about uh, Kreisman uh, representing the Democratic Party and this whole era of uh, progression and inclusivity, when in fact the conditions of the African community have only worsened um, under under his administration. And, um, you know, so he was able to, you know, move in this fashion where, I mean, gentrification intensified, you know, under the uh, uh, so-called inclusive progressive mayor. Um, and, you know, his his last effort um, in, you know, overwhelming the black community through the anti, you know, through the colonial gentrification process, you know, that, uh, you know, trying to sell the land to uh, big developers um, in Miami and elsewhere. I mean, that was just a part of, you know, everything that he was doing and again, continuing, you know, these um con continuing this tradition, um, uh, which requires the oppression, exploitation of the black community here requires in order for them to, you know, do the high rises, the condominiums and to transform this place, you know, into, you know, this huge tourist attraction for, you know, rich white people um, in order for them to do that, that they have to sanitize and remove the African working class uh, from the city. And that's exactly what Kreisman was doing. So I think that's, you know, one of the important things that we have to recognize. One is that Kreisman represented a social system that he was, you know, not separate from it at all. Um, all the opponents that he uh, ever ran against that wasn't a reparations candidate from the Uhuru movement, you know, were all uh, contending uh, for control of, you know, the state right here in the city of St. Petersburg, was trying to advance their own political careers, um, you know, so on and so forth. So uh, that's one thing we have to recognize. And then two, um, you know, under this uh, uh, so-called progressive regime, we saw the most intense form of, of gentrification occur um, where, you know, under his watch, the Pinellas County Sheriff's Department was able to run rampant in the city and kill um, uh, at minimum six teenage uh, African children um, at the time of, uh, you know, of, of him sitting in office. And um, even uh, as recently as I think was it uh, maybe 20, the end of 2020, early 2021, um, where an African uh, uh, young man was gunned down 38 times in broad daylight here on the South Side. So, you know, this is all happening under uh, the administration uh, of Kreisman, and um, that's what we're dealing with in general, looking at the St. Pete city government.
I then asked director Akile to speak to the struggle for reparations in the form of the return of the 86 acres of land at the Tropicana field to the African community, as opposed to providing affordable housing or jobs in general, as has been suggested by the new mayor, Ken Welch. Yeah, I mean, first I would say to the fact that there is a a first ever black mayor in the city of St. Pete, I mean, I think that that represents a serious crisis among the ruling class, not just in St. Pete, but for the whole colonial capitalist social system. Um, and, you know, we, we've learned enough about uh, neocolonialism to know that, you know, it's the last uh, stage of imperialism where it's the, uh, the, the colonizers last ditch effort um, to, you know, win the support, the sympathy, the unity, um, and uh, to try to, you know, maintain some kind of semblance of, uh, of peace before uh, the point where African people are, you know, rising up and fighting in our own genuine interests. So the installment of, of, of Ken Welch as the first African mayor in the city of St. Pete is a strategic position, and it represents um, the growing crisis of this social system to respond to the uprisings, the rebellions happening throughout the world. Because if you think that what happened in um, in Minnesota with George Floyd in 2020 has nothing to do with a black mayor being elected here in the city of St. Petersburg, you'd be sadly mistaken. So I think that's one thing we have to, you know, recognize. And so uh, this person, Ken Welch, is is, uh, having to deal with the fact that the Uhuru movement has, has a presence here for over 50 years, where uh, Chairman Amali Chitella was born, um, formed uh, the first membership-based organization of the uh, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, tore down a white nationalist mural that hung in City Hall, um, that and where that wall remains blank today, where he organized a hunt of militant organizations and later the African People's Socialist Party, and uh, how we have been organizing here as the party, the Uhuru movement, um, since that time. And during that time, we've obviously waged this uh, reparations demand struggle um, right to the doorsteps of City Hall. So that's something that um, Ken Welch, as this African mayor who won uh, the the sympathy and the vote uh, from the African community and, you know, the the quote unquote progressive, um, you know, white population based on the fact that he's an African and that there's some expectation that he's going to speak to the demands coming from the African working class. And so um, this is uh, his attempt, um, his administration's attempt to to speak to. And and I would just say that he wouldn't have had to speak to reparations had the African working class under the leadership of the Uhuru movement not made it um, the struggle that um, it's um, become today. So I think that's really important for us to to understand. And then um, when we look at what they're proposing for reparations, I mean, it's it's absurd and it's it's an insult. Um, this idea of, uh, you know, economic programs, which always result or, uh, in some type of charitable um, uh, program, you know, affordable housing, all these things that, one, uh, they're not saying it's going explicitly to Africans, which would defeat the point of reparations because reparations is owed to African people, not white people. And if everybody uh, can have access to the affordable housing, then it's not reparations. Um, and it's the same, these same promises of economic development, of, of, of affordable housing, very vague. Um, you know, they always talk about people like we don't present a plan. We don't show how it's possible. Well, they, they've been passing around the same, you know, uh, uh, phrases, terms for years. And none of that has actually ever resulted in, in, in even the basic things that they've laid out. So um, it doesn't equate to reparations. And I think with the Take Back the Dome campaign, 
that is, it's reparations is not limited to the dome. The 86 acres of land is only one aspect of, of reparations. But um, when we look at the, the Take Back the Dome campaign, we're looking at a practical uh, implementation of reparations. It's something that is not just a concept, but it's something that can actually happen, um, that can be implemented. And reparations is something that, you know, we have we have laid out, you know, how this could happen, what it would look like. Um, but the, I think the take back the dome gives people like this, this tangible vision um, of what's possible for African people. And it's a, it's something that will really transform the lives of the African population here in the city of St. Pete. It will transform the conditions of African people here in the city of St. Pete. And that's what reparations has to do ultimately in repairing the damage. It has to transform our conditions, our material conditions. So that's what the Take Back the Dome campaign and um, it actually coming into fruition would would result in that transformation. I asked Director Akile if she thinks victory for the African working class in the form of winning the return of the 86 acres of the Tropicana Field Dome is within reach and what gives her confidence that this victory can be won for the African working class. I would say the evidence is in the fact that the ruling class is not able to rule in the same way. And that's evidenced by the, the struggles happening throughout the world where the colonized, the oppressed, the toiling masses are rising up. And every time you turn on the news, every time you open up a newspaper, um, you listen to the radio, whatever, you see more and more evidence of this fact that the oppressed and exploited of the world will not and Africans in particular will not endure another 600 years under this system. And so if we're saying that we will not endure colonialism in our lives anymore, that that means that that system has to be overturned. And so there is evidence all throughout the world. But even in the city of St. Pete, I think that what people, um, you know, people might have a difficult time doing is recognizing that the city of St. Pete would not have elected an African mayor if it was not in, uh, as a response to the growing, the growing discontent of, of, of the oppressed and exploited peoples in the city. That African people have even forced them to have to install, you know, an African mayor, somebody that looks exactly like them to be able to, to, to keep the peace. That's what they've had to do in response to um, the demands and the struggles of the African population here in this city. And I don't think that's a small thing. But if you don't understand that, if you don't see the African mayor as a result of some kind of crisis that the ruling class is attempting to respond to, then, yeah, you think that um, our victory is, 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 is out of reach. When we look at the, the situation of the dome, I mean, this is this real this is the most practical plan of reparations I've ever seen, if you want to talk about practicality um, and if that's necessary for you, which um, oftentimes we find the necessity to have to explain how things are going to happen is really getting to a situation where that person does not unite with reparations, um, just being honest. But if, if you're looking for something that's practical, um, we've laid out to a T how the dome being transferred to the African community, how that happens how there's a democratic process involved, the Reparations Land Trust and Development Authority, um, how, we've how we've determined how the land, what, what determinations will, will we come to, how that will all happen. We laid that out. 
And not only did we lay that out, but we said what the land will be transformed into, what that would look like, creating this huge economic base for the city of St. Pete and, cre- you know, um, and contributing to the tourist economy. We've laid out the, you know, the African village, um, how the culture that is already, uh, you know, uh, co-opted and, and warped and, and sold, packaged in white downtown St. Pete, how the authenticity of the African culture will be bursting at the seams, you know, where the 86 acres of land um, rest. So, you know, we've laid this out and I think that, um, our victory is tangible um, because the evidence in the world where African and other colonized people are rising up and, you know, winning these victories left and right. And it's putting this social system on the back foot. It's putting the rulers on the back foot that that is all evidence of our inevitable victory. Um, and yeah, that's what I, I mean, that's what I would say. And you have to be able to, to, to see the world and understand what it is that you're looking at. And if you don't understand the world um, and the social system being in crisis, then yeah, you would ex- the, your expectation is that the system has uh, no ability to change. It has no ability to be overthrown. It's all you know. Um, but increasingly, um, every day, we see that this system um, will not last much longer, that the oppressed of the world will not remain oppressed. We refuse. And um, the city won't give the land back. It won't. If, if it has, if it's up to the city government, it will not give the land back, um, you know, because of some moral epiphany that it has tomorrow. It will come as a result of the struggles being made by the African working class and those in the white community that unite under the leadership of the African working class. So it's ours to take, you know, not for the expectation that they'll just, you know, hand this over. It has been estimated that as many as 300 bodies of African people are still buried under the parking lot of Tropicana Field. Uh, This is a result of the partial destruction of a historic African cemetery during the destruction of the gas plant district and the construction of the dome. I asked Director Akile to speak to this desecration of graves as a part of the colonial genocide of the African community, which is euphemistically referred to as gentrification. You know, when we look at the desecration of graves, we're, you know, looking at the whole colonial question. We are looking at, and it's it's this thing that often the white ruling class will try to paint as this thing of the past, you know. Yes, the ensla- you know the enslavement of African people occurred, and it was a horrible thing um, that happened. You know, if they're even willing to say that, um, and and it's this thing that's just it's it's just in the past. It, it doesn't have any bearings on our reality today. And then we look at the the you know the desecration of graves, um, you know, where this thing that happened, you know, just a couple decades ago. This is a hundreds of years ago. This is a couple decades ago where you know, they built the dome and in order to build the dome, they had to raise an entire community and they had to build over, um, you know, the, the graveyard of, of African people. And um, that's just the, re- that's the colonial reality. That's the legacy of this social system. And, you know, it has no regard for African life. It never has. And so it has no regard for Africans, even in death, none. And um, so, you know, desecrating graves and even this whole, uh, you know, shock and, uh, uh, you know, response by this government, this, you know, this uh, 
upset, you know, seeming response by the government that, you know, these graves are here and we are just so upset and we want to do everything to make it right. I mean, um, and at the same time, we want to do everything to make it right, but we're still going to sell this land to big developers. Um, You know, I think that, you know, what we just have to understand about this social system is that it has no regard for African life. And the question of the desecration of graves is just another colonial assault on our people. And, um, you know, they will continue to build a top, you know, I mean, the whole, we call the, 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 the dome, we call it the tomb and we call it the tomb because it, you know, killed an entire community and, and not by way of necessarily literal bodies dropping, although that has occurred, um, you know, where people who have been displaced have lost their lives as a result of being displaced. But um, we call it the tomb because it destroyed, it killed, you know, an entire community and the an ability for an economy, an ability for us to feed, clothe and house ourselves, any kind of dignity um, that we, we could have by, you know, having our own community, our own culture, anything like that. It, it totally um, annihilated it. And this process of gentrification that we see today, it's just a continuation of that. That's what comes along with it. A whole community is destroyed. It dies in the process of making way for, you know, rich white people being able to be here, settle here um, and make this their vacation home. So, um, you know, that's just, it all, it's all tied into it. Um, the whole desecration of graves. In fact, it's, it's, it's almost an inevitability because when you look at African people and the fact that it was our labor that um, resulted in the ability for this place to even have streets and have roads that we cleared the swamps for there. I mean, how many, how many, you know, African remains literally rest under the city of St. Pete based on the fact that it was African slave labor um, that, uh, you know, um, were, you know, made it possible for uh, the city to exist in the way it does now. So it's, it's this inevitability of, of colonial capitalism um, that they, you know, that they would be paving over the graves um, of African people. And again, it's just a statement of, of this social system and its regard to African life, which is why we have to be, you know, fighting for power, control of our own lives, our own resources, our own labor. That's why we have to struggle for power um, because it's not, a, you know, it's, it's not nothing to tell these, uh, the, the ruling class that our lives mean something to us because they don't to this system. So our struggle has to be for power, has to be to take back the dome. Um, and and this is also just deepening our uh, our case for reparations. You know, um, the continued crimes against our people contributes to, um, you know, our, our case reparations. Uhuru. Wow. Director Akila Nai, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on Reparations in Action. Uhuru. Finally, I had the honor of speaking to my Reparations in Action co-host, the chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, and a former St. Petersburg mayoral candidate, Jesse Neville. Jesse ran for mayor in 2017 as an Uhuru Movement-supported candidate with a reparations platform whose slogan was, Unity Through Reparations. Jesse's incumbent opponent was former mayor Rick Kreisman. I asked him to sum up the legacy of the Kreisman administration. First of all, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this this history and the ongoing struggle for reparations to the African community in St. Petersburg and throughout the U.S. and throughout the world. And as you mentioned, I am part of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, 
which is the white organization founded and led by the African People's Socialist Party, which is led by Omalia Shetela, who's the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party. And we are tasked as the Uhuru Solidarity Movement with going into our own white communities and winning white people like ourselves to stand in principled unity and solidarity with the black community and the struggle for reparations for centuries of oppression and exploitation that is ongoing to this day. As Chairman Amalish Tella has said, reparations is not just for chattel slavery. It's for the, the uh, con- you know, ongoing and even increasing, intensifying exploitation of African people that is built into the, the system of colonialism, which the chairman defines as the mode of production of the capitalist system and the capitalist world economy. So our job as the Uhuru Solidarity Movement involves organizing and winning white people to pay reparations to support the African self-determination and economic development anti-colonial projects of the African People's Socialist Party and the Uhuru Movement. And I also just want to acknowledge Penny Hess, who's the chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee and who has led under the chairman and the party's leadership the work to build the solidarity movement in the white community since 1976, over 45 years ago. And as you mentioned, one of the things that the Uhuru movement has done is bring the struggle for reparations and black liberation into the electoral arena. It's something that the Uhuru movement has done many times over the years, including here in St. Louis, where I'm now located, and also in St. Petersburg and in other places. In fact, Chairman Omalia Shetela himself ran for mayor of St. Petersburg in the early 2000s and won every single African and mixed precinct in the city. And Chimaranga Selimbao, who is also a guest on this program, ran for, uh, for school board and for city council. And of course, Director uh, Akile Anai ran for city council twice. And all of those campaigns contributed um, immensely to the popularization of the demand for reparations to the black community in you know, what you might call like mainstream US electoral politics. Uh, to the point where, like you me- like you mentioned, now there is a mayor in St. Petersburg who openly claims to support reparations. The same is now true in St. Louis. So the impact of the of this strategy of the Uhuru movement uh, has been profound. And um, when we look back on the Chrysman era and what you said that one of his part of his his sort of uh, swan song uh, was to you know ink this deal with Midtown Development around the um, development of the land underneath the Tropicana Field baseball stadium, that is emblematic of Christman's legacy. Uh, And I just wanted to mention that when we launched the campaign, the mayoral campaign of uh, 2017 under the leadership and strategy of the Uhuru movement, our theme, our slogan was unity through reparations. This was a call to the white community of St. Petersburg to recognize that any problems that we face in the city of St. Petersburg, whether it is the rising cost of housing, whether it is the, the uh, you know, 
pollution of the environment through the sewage dumps that occurred with regularity under the Kreisman regime, um, whether it's the you know one-sided big development and the, the glut of high-rise condominiums that were overtaking the city, that all of that can be traced back to the central uh, crime or, or contradiction, if you will, which is the oppression and exploitation of the African community. That is the core. That's at the root of it. Everything revolves around that. Any problems that we have with the government can be traced back to a government, a system, a city, a country, a mode of production built on the oppression and theft of resources and rape and torture of African people. And St. Petersburg is no exception. So when we launched the uh, mayoral campaign in 2017, the Uhuru Movement and Chairman Amali Shatella made a tactical decision to hold the announcement press conference in front of the Tropicana Field Baseball Stadium. That is to really emphasize what that uh, stadium represented in terms of the most glaring monument to the oppression of African people uh, that you can find, and also as the most glaring opportunity for repair and atonement for the injustices uh, of the past and present to be conducted through the return of that land. That was a key demand of Director Achille's campaigns, both times of the mayoral campaign. And it goes back even further than that. The Uhuru movement, um, you know, the International People's Democratic Uhuru movement led demonstrations against the construction of the Suncoast Dome, as it was called back then, back then, when it first happened, um, when the city council first made the decision to destroy uh, hundreds of black families and businesses and uh, restaurants and, and theaters and insurance companies and other examples of vibrant economic life in the African community in order to build this baseball stadium. So um, the Christman legacy is gentrification. The Christman legacy is the dead bodies of the three drowned black girls who were murdered in St. Petersburg by the Pinellas County Sheriff's Department under the watch of Rick Christman and Police Chief Anthony Holloway. The Christman legacy is, is gentrification, police murder, um, sewage pollution being dumped first into the African community. Uh, the, the ongoing con conversion of St. Petersburg into a playground for millionaire elite white people and a place where the vision of the Christman uh, legacy has no place for African people in it. In response to Jesse's bid for mayor and director Achille's bid for city council, some forces in St. Petersburg made the claim that the city is on a, quote, progressive trajectory with the exception of the colonial oppression of the African community. I asked Uhuru Solidarity Chair Jesse to respond to this claim of St. Petersburg being a, quote, progressive city except for how it treats the black community, and to tell us what he thinks white people who have recently moved to St. Petersburg should know about the city's history, especially as it relates to the Tropicana field and the black community. That is a great question. And first of all, on this whole notion of Christman and the city government of St. Petersburg being one that is progressive, you are correct that one of the important political goals of the electoral campaigns and the overall political organizing work done by the Uhuru movement in St. Petersburg is to utterly shatter the ability for anyone to define 
the Kreisman government or the overall status quo of St. Petersburg as representing progress. And there was an article that we often mentioned that was published in in a a local so-called alternative newspaper at the time, which described the Kreisman administration and the overall kind of political trajectory of the city of St. Pete as being progressive, quote unquote, with the exception of the economic injustice still plaguing the black community on the South side. And we called that out continuously because, again, there cannot be progressive except for the oppression of black people. And what Chairman Amalia Chatella would help us to understand is that it is progressive for the colonizer. That is progress for the colonizer to be able to have you know, gentrification, to be able to uh, have small businesses for white people and, you know, coffee shops and yoga studios and all the kind of things that represent development, uh, economic development for the white community at the expense of pushing out Africans, flooding the black community with police, uh, raising the price of rent to the point where African people can't even afford to live in their neighborhoods anymore. Um, You know, all of these conditions are represent the bottom line or the price tag of white social progress. And that's because we are a part of a colonial mode of production. Colonialism is the mode of production of the global economy that we are a part of as white people, as the colonizers. So, um, so there is, <laughs> there is a way for there to be progress for, let's say LGBT white people Uh, by joining the status quo, by being able to have economic and social advancements on the pedestal, on the foundation of the deepening oppression and exploitation of African people. And the message that we sent to the white population and that we would still send to any white person who is moving into St. Petersburg today is that genuine human progress is measured by the extent to which justice and reparations to African people take place. That is the real measurement of human progress. You cannot have real progress where one profits at the expense of another. That is colonialism. That's all it is. So if we want to see true progress and a true future in in the interests, even for white people, even for LGBT white people, even for disabled white people, even for white people who are depressed and suicidal and who see no future, Uh, in this social system. I mean, there was actually a study that said St. Petersburg was one of the most depressed cities in the, in the country. And I think it was in like men's health magazine or something like that. And the cure to that depression and hopelessness and misery and despair is found in the optimism of the righteous anti-colonial struggle of African people for liberation and a world where no human being uh, profits and benefits at the expense of another that, that is our future. It's not something that we support as a favor or as an act of um, altruism or charity. It's something that we do because it represents the future for us and the people we love too. It represents the future for all of humanity if we can get on board and do our part in fighting for reparations to African people. I asked Jesse to address the rent hike crisis in St. Petersburg and to make the connection between the African community's demand for reparations and the current housing crisis in St. Petersburg. Yeah, I mean, that that connection doesn't even require connecting the dots because it's literally the same issue. I mean, the uh, reparations plan that was put forward by 
director Kile in her campaigns, especially in 2019, but also in 2017. The, you know, the major thrust of her platform, which was based on the Black is Back Coalition's 19-point agenda for Black self-determination, was that reparations to African people, and especially the question of um, the Tropicana Field, the Tropicana Field land, 86 acres being returned to the African community uh, to build economic development and affordable housing for the African community would take the pressure off of the housing market overall and would make the city more affordable overall. And that is the trajectory that, that reparations would put us on. And it's not just, it's not merely uh, an economic question, although there is, I think, a very sound economic argument to be made for how reparations would result in affordable housing in this city. It is also, I think, a question of the values. Like when you have a policy or a city that is operating from a commitment to reparations to African people, what comes with that is a commitment to the principle that no human being should be unhoused, that it is a human right for that. It, as the, as the Uhuru movement said back in the eighties, it makes no sense for there to be thousands of abandoned buildings and thousands of homeless people that empty buildings and homeless people go together. So a reparation city is a city in which there would be no people living on the streets without a place to sleep at night. Finally, I asked Jesse to speak to the sharp rise in the support for reparations in the U.S., which in the year 2000 was at around 2%, but by 2021 had reached almost 40% of U.S. citizens supporting some form of reparations, and how urgent he thinks it is that the African Revolution, that the Uhura Movement, define what reparations looks like. So with regards to the rise in uh, the percentage of people in this country, including white people, obviously Africans have always you know, called for reparations. This, I mean, the demand comes from the African community. But as far as white people supporting this demand, um, that number has increased a lot over the years. And that is 100% attributable to the influence and leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, things like the Black Power Blueprint and the Take Back the Dome campaign and the electoral campaigns in St. Petersburg and St. Louis, the work of Deputy Chair Onas Neyashatela, the work of APSC, the Walks Against Genocide, the Marches for Reparations, Chairwoman Penny Hess speaking throughout the US, Europe, and beyond. All of this of the party strategy is what has contributed to the growing unity from a sector of white people with the, the struggle for reparations to African people. And that's great. We obviously applaud and salute that. The key question for us now is we have to organize all of those white people. And I'm, I'm saying this uh, as part of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, that we have to win white people to go beyond just saying that we support reparations, but to actually join organization, to actually be a part of an organized movement under the leadership of the African working class that is fighting for reparations every single day. That is the true test of our commitment to reparations is to take it beyond a mere sentiment or a one-time act and, and make it an ongoing uh, commitment to repairing the damage of 600 years of colonialism and exploitation. And, you know, finally, Jesse, I wanted to talk to you about that question of gentrification a, a little more, which we understand as uh, a euphemism for colonialism. It's the form colonialism takes in most 
uh, U.S. cities in in terms of how how it, it deals with the African community, and we also see though a lot of you know not wealthy or working uh, you know working class for lack of a better term white people um, who say that they've been gentrified too. Do you think that ultimately gentrification does hurt white people? What's what's your understanding of that? I I do. I mean, I think that, um, you know, this is something that that uh, that the Uhura movement was putting out again through the campaigns. Um, it was especially I mean, all of the campaigns, but I can speak specifically to the mayoral candidacy that I was involved in. The, the call for unity through reparations. It was a call to white people. It was a call to the white population to say, if you don't want to be pushed out of this city, if you don't want to be uh you know, unable to afford rent on your apartment, then you got to join this movement and you can be in this city and you can be in this city in a principled relationship to the African population, as opposed to as a gentrifier and as a colonizer and as somebody who is benefiting from the system built at the expense of African people. So yes, this is, this is the way, I mean, when we campaigned in 2017, we spoke to groups of homeless white people about why the struggle for reparations is, is the solution to you know, the homelessness crisis in St. Petersburg. And even small business owners. I mean, there were uh, business owners that supported the campaigns, I think because they supported reparations, but also because they saw that if someone doesn't put a stop to this um plan that Christman and the city government establishment has, not just Christman, um, but to to really rapidly try to turn uh, St. Petersburg into a Palm Beach, uh, you know, a playground for the for millionaires, then there's not going to be room for even small businesses. So yes, absolutely. Uh, the solution for for white people who want to see an end to gentrification is in solidarity with African people. Because, you know, I'll just say one more thing on that. There is a way that sometimes as white people, we can um, complain about gentrification as if it's something that happens to white people. Like, um, for example, like, you know, white artists might be the first to move into what used to be a predominantly African community and set up what they call like an artist colony or a warehouse district or something like that. And uh, it's very sort of, you know, bohemian or whatever. And then big developers come in and buy up the property. And all of a sudden, these white people are crying gentrification because their kind of, um, you know, outsider little community is now being bought up and they're being pushed out and they can't afford to live there anymore. And now it's going to be a place where condos exist. But that is actually how gentrification unfolds. There's usually a group of white people. They actually sometimes self-identify as urban pioneers who go in and are the first to gentrify a community before the big gentrifiers come in and take the baton. And in a certain way, the hunter becomes the hunted. So I think the, the, the struggle is just not to you know, try to be a better hunter, but to join the African community in fighting to put an end to the hunting altogether and build a system in which everybody can live. And the only way to do that, again, is through the liberation of African people. And, and our way to, to support that and be a part of that is through the struggle for reparations. 
Uhuru Solidarity Movement Chair Jesse Neville. Thank you so much for joining us today on Reparations in Action. Uhuru. I want to thank the National Director of Organization for the African People's Socialist Party, Chimaringa Salambao, the Director of the Department of Agitprop for the African People's Socialist Party, Akile Anayi, and Uhuru Solidarity Movement Chair, Jesse Neville, for talking to me today about the struggle for reparations in St. Petersburg. Thank you for tuning in to Reparations in Action. We'll see you next time. You're listening to Reparations in Action. This has been an episode of Reparations in Action, the White Lies Shattered series, a biased podcast of white solidarity with black power. My name is Jamie Simpson. This episode was engineered by Marcel Marius, who also composed our theme music. The show is researched and produced by Penny Hess, Jesse Neville, and Lisa Watson from the Black Power 96.3 FM studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. A shout out to Akile Anayi and DJ Eddie Maltzby, as well as the entire Reparations in Action team, Sandra Forrest, Johan Bedingfield, Amanda Carlozzi, Kyle Weiss, Marissa Ricchetti, Ali Aiello, Alana Woods, Declan Keller, Hallie Murray, and Sarah Ritterspock. If you liked what you heard today, you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, please email them to us at ria at blackpower96.org. Special thanks to the African People's Socialist Party's chairman, Omali Yeshetela, without whose leadership and theory of African internationalism, none of the understandings presented on reparations in action would be possible. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs>